The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week of every year for way many years now, we have been bringing you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And in on the first first Wednesday of each month, we usually do like an open mic Q&A, all those questions that you've been, uh, you've been wondering about, just to know, know a place to ask them. I'll do my best to answer them or send you to the place to get the answer. And uh, that, of course, means that there is absolutely no show without you. So you can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Again, that number is 877-772-9658. Or alternatively, you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Unusually, I there's a like like a caller already on the screen practically when I got here today. So we're going to go to Maurice on line one in Columbus. Maurice, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina. I was calling to see what um, what would you do if uh, you had a home? I bought I purchased a house back in 2019 for five thousand dollars. I put about thirty seven hundred dollars into it. And we rent it out for like twelve hundred right now. It's a slam dunk deal. But my situation is, I want to get into multifamily, and I'm considering selling it. The low end that I could sell it is one twenty, and the high end I could sell it for about one sixty. Mm-hmm. Right now, it is free and clear. I did purchase it for my son uh, that was like thirteen, and we're going to just keep it for cash flow for college. But I do have some debts that I want to pay off and um, start a new slate. Mm-hmm. What um, What do you think about that? Do you Do you dislike this house for some reason now? Do you not like it? Say anymore? that one more time. Do you not like this house no, anymore? I, I I like it still, but um, I think I might have a shiny object syndrome <laughs> um, going on a little you, bit. You might. <laughs> So there are there are there are things that you could do other than sell it to reach what I think your goals are here. Yeah, I mean you got you've got the one goal of paying off some debt. You've got a second goal of having some cash flow for your kids' college, and you've got a third goal of possibly getting into the multifamily business. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. Okay. So you, do have you calculated how much tax you're going to pay on this property if you sell it? 
No, I haven't done that yet. It's a lot. It's probably enough to send your kid to the first half year at OSU. Maybe even the first whole year. Like, like that's how much you're going to give away if you sell this house. Okay. So that, that I think we can agree that that's like bad, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there are two things that you could consider doing here that would cost you nothing in taxes and thus leave your um, all this beautiful equity that you so brilliantly created here uh, intact. One thing you could consider doing is taking out a loan against the property. Borrowed money okay. generally isn't taxed, right? So that money could turn into your seed money for your multifamily, or if there was some need to, like, you know, you could borrow some money out to pay off those debts. And I'm guessing even at current interest rates, that that rate is a lot lower than, say, the rate on a credit card might be. So that's yeah. that's option number one, because somebody's going to be really thrilled to make a loan on this house because you have so much equity. The second thing that you could do if you decided, you know, I just don't, I just don't want the single families anymore. They're not big enough for me. Find your multifamily first and then sell this property, but exchange it into the multifamily. Do a 1031 exchange so that you get to keep all of the profit from this property and move it into your new property. Mm-hmm. Understand. I sort of I sort of hate the idea of you selling a cash cow like this to start with, but that's me. So I would say if you're gonna if you're gonna if you want to take some money out borrowing, it's a good way to do it. Uh, if you want, because because even like on a free and clear house, even even if your credit was terrible. You can borrow half the value of it with no problem, right? Uh-huh. I mean, that's just an asset-based loan right there. Right. So right. so either borrowing against it to get where you want to go or waiting until you've like, put the multifamily you want under contract and then putting it on the market. Now, I mean, right now, if you found that in the next few months, obviously you'd sell this one really fast, right? Right. So if you have you have your multifamily under contract and then you put this on the market and sell it, then you can just exchange this money straight into the some of the cash you need for the multifamily. Okay, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, you don't need to sell it now and sit on cash that is then going to basically melt. I mean if you if you got a if you if you cleared a hundred thousand on this after everything and put it in the bank a year from now, it would buy no more than $92,000 worth of groceries because inflation. <laughs> so it's better to leave it there where, where where at least for the nonce, the value is staying the same or maybe even going up a little than it is to turn right. into the cash where the value is going to go down. Okay. Maurice, you don't sound like All I right. told you what you wanted to hear. <laughs> no, I do. It's just it's giving me some... Some things to consider and um really i didn't i didn't think of it that way so like i said i had a uh shiny object syndrome going on and i was like ah i'm gonna just sell it but it's a really good property and it's it is like a, i said it's, 
it is. It's cash flowing like crazy. It'll still cash flow like crazy if you borrow half the half the value of it at seven or eight percent interest. So if you need money, it's it's your house right now is a little like an ATM. If you sell it, it's not anymore. You don't have anything to borrow okay. against anymore. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm gonna put that in my back pocket. That is great. Appreciate okay. it. <laughs> All right, Maurice. Thank you for your call. Uh, this is real life real estate investing. Um, it's question and answer week, and that means you can call in a question like Maurice just did at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Again, eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or you can send it via email. The email address is askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week and we've got folks on the phone and emails piling up at askvina at gmail.com. Um, I have an ask for you all, or at least those of you all who are in the greater Cincinnati area and particularly in sort of the northern and western part of Cincinnati. I've spent the entire day combing the city for vacant properties, ideally that are for sale, but if they were vacant rentals, that would be fine too, that have a basement that I could take some investors on an inspection tour tomorrow night. And I have been having the hardest time finding appropriate properties. They can't be newly rehabbed because it's an inspection tour. They can't have nothing in them because it's an inspection tour and it's not a very interesting tour when you go to the basement and say, well, no furnace, there should probably be one. No plumbing, there should probably be some. So if you are an agent or a wholesaler or a rental owner who has a vacant property with a basement that you wouldn't mind some investors taking a look at for their own education tomorrow night, if you could please send an email to askvina at gmail.com, I would greatly appreciate it. I spent all day doing this and I'm going to be spending more time doing it after the show because uh, I'm about two properties short of what I need for this tour tomorrow night. So thank you in advance. Cincinnati area folks. Let's go to line one and talk to Ryan in Georgia. Ryan, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, Ryan. How are you? I'm well. Uh, can I, am I ready to ask my you question? Are, you are ready to ask your question. Okay, so, um, you know, I just started in real estate, um, my own business. I'm, I'm completely on my own. Um, and, you know, I obviously, you know, was looking to develop, you know, a lot of buy and hold properties. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, to generate some, some active cash flow, um, I'm looking to wholesale and do fix and flips. Mm-hmm. And so my specific question is, is when, when I have, you know, four or five deals, you know, in the pipeline and, you know, I'm, I'm getting them under contract, I just want to see, you know, what is your advice as far as like, um, when I go to place my offers, earnest money, you know, wise. So if I'm putting, you know, 500, you know, on, you know, let's say I have, you know, seven, eight deals at one time, because um, I've been able to make my marketing bring that that type of deal flow in. Um, but what has me nervous is, is, is I'm planning on wholesaling a few of these um, if they fall through and I end up, you know, wasting it. Um, what what do you normally do? Like when you have seven or eight deals, um, do you just, you know put contingencies in there or do you just can't wholesale it? Do you just back out and let them keep the money? Like what, what would be your advice as far Ryan, as that goes? Are, are these off market deals? 
These are off-market, yes. Has any owner ever asked you, I'm talking about off-market sellers, has any off-market seller ever asked you for earnest money, ever said, I need earnest money? I think it depends. If it's an investor, they're a little bit more educated, so they do ask. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, normal residential homeowners, they they never ask, and I just pull the contract out and put like ten dollars. Yeah, neither do the investors if they if they are motivated. If they're if they're I not see. if they're not motivated sellers, you shouldn't be putting their properties under contract because I can tell you if they're not motivated, you got them under contract for too much money. That's that's just that's like the rule. <laughs> and, um, You're right. I have, that's, that's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, I I I generally with off market deals put up somewhere between zero and ten dollars in earnest money, because earnest okay. money in most states in the United States is not a necessary component of a purchase contract. Consideration okay. is, okay. but consideration does not have to be money. There's a couple of states where the the law says that if you don't put up you know, some significant amount of earnest money that the seller can back out of the contract within a certain number of days. But uh, Georgia, to my knowledge, is not one of those places. Okay. So, A, okay. I would say that in earnest money things in your head, not in the heads of your sellers. Um, if <laughs> if you can edit your purchase agreement, I would take the earnest money line off of it altogether. Wow. Well, because because okay. that's you know I I did notice back when I was using a purchase agreement that had an earnest money line and I said zero that would make people go wait earnest money I've heard of that are you am I supposed to get some of that but when it oh. didn't mention it at all nobody ever said anything so that's 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 thing one and that's that's that that's not trying to solve the problem of I'm putting eight properties under contract and I'm only going to close two of them. That's solving the problem of I have four thousand dollars worth of earnest money checks floating around in the world, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the big thing. Um, you should you should not ever have properties under contract that you can't close yourself, even with you know, like with transactional funding or hard money funding or anything like that, or that you would not close yourself if it came to it. Right. Like there's uh, okay. there's wholesale deals that are like it's a good deal. It's just not my good deal. You know, like numerically, yeah. it's a good deal. And somebody who wants to do that much rehab could make a lot of money on it or somebody who wanted to own in this area could make a lot of money renting it. And that's that's the kind of deal you should be wholesaling is ones that you're like, you know, if I can't find a buyer for it, I will close it and I'll put it in MLS and sell it that way if I have to or I'll rehab it myself if I have to. This trend of um, just just get a lot of stuff under contract and sort of throw it at the wall and see what sticks uh, bothers me a lot, both because it's not fair to the sellers, in my opinion, and also because it is getting wholesalers like a super bad reputation because and there's people on Facebook bragging that. Okay, maybe they're not bragging, but they're they're stating like it's not a thing. Well, I, you know, I only sell one out of every 10 deals I get under contract. I'm like, then you're getting the wrong deals under contract. Why would you get something under contract that you couldn't sell? We're still in one of the hottest markets anyone has ever seen. If it's not selling, it's because it wasn't a good deal. And you shouldn't be putting good deals under contract. It's literally better to walk away from the table 
if the seller, if if you're like, I could pay 180, and the seller's like, I can't take a dime less than 220. It's it's literally better to say, well, you know, let me know when you can. I'll I'll follow up. I hope you get your price. Then it is to put that deal under contract and tie up that seller for 30 or 45 days when you're just hoping someone will pay the price as opposed to knowing that they will pay the price. I would also, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I've just decided every caller today, I'm going to tell them stuff they don't want to hear. That's, that's my rule for the day. Every caller, I'm going to tell them something they don't want to hear. Um, the third thing is if your real goal is cash flow properties, as it should be, sir, because that's actually how we get wealthy, right? <laughs> is with the cash flow properties. Um, you might want to turn your focus a little bit toward uh, focusing on sellers who will partly or fully finance the property for you. Okay. I mean, that's again motivated sellers, right? Right. But but things. I like- actually haven't had any luck personally doing creative finance. Um, so, I mean, the market, I, I don't know. I just haven't, How many, I haven't had any luck with it. Well, you get, you're getting good deal flow. So are you asking every seller whether they would consider a takeover payments deal or possibly taking their equity in payments if you could pay them more? Are you asking all the sellers that? No. <laughs> Why not? I mean, what's the worst they can it possibly like- say? <laughs> No, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> almost every seller that calls my office gets two offers. Mm. Right, they get the one. They get the one for cash, and that's that's what that's what they called thinking that they wanted. And then they get a one for you finance it either by letting me take over your payments or by taking your equity in payments, and that offer is always much higher. Because honestly, if I'm going to keep a house, I don't really care how much I pay for it. I care what the payments are. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can pay any seller any crazy price they want as long as they'll take it in very reasonable monthly payments. I'll pay a million dollars for a $200,000 house if I can get that in payments of 500 a month until paid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because because it's it's a different mindset, right? It's I'm I I don't I I'm not going to sell it, so it doesn't matter how much equity I'm getting. I see what you're saying. Okay. So I can I can I have diagnosed and can now definitively say that the reason you haven't had any luck with creative finance <laughs> is because you haven't asked people for it. <laughs> you you need to learn. I, uh, you I have PTSD need- from all the no's. <laughs> well, they're, they're, the no's are part of the business. You're right. I always tell people if you're not if you're not getting 19 no's a week, you're not making enough offers. Because it's it's you know you only get one out of 20 yeses anyway. So if you're not getting 19 no's a, a week, uh, either you are making offers that are too high, or you're just not making enough of them. That's just, you know, what, what, what is the downside of the real, what's the, what's the thing we have to deal with in the real estate game? It's all the no's. And, and in a way, you should be striving to get as many no's as you can, because that means you're making a lot of the right offer. And also that, that's putting you one closer to the yes. Okay. So, yeah, I would, I would study up on, um, two things. One is 
subject to, which is kind of the thing right now. And the other one is for those sellers who don't owe anything. And that's going to be a lot of your, uh, not a lot of them, but a higher proportion of your investor sellers are going to own their houses free and clear. So subject, subject two is not an option. And those folks in particular, they kind of dig the idea of a monthly income. Okay. That's why they bought a rental, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, you're right. So now when you say, not only will I give you a monthly income, you'll never have to deal with the tenants again. Or the repairs, or the maintenance, so, or the evictions. Let me ask you a question. So, I mean, obviously as investors, you know, we, we want to, you know, get our money back as fast as possible. And, and so if I work, if I work with an investor and they, and I pitch them owner financing, but they only agree to do it, um, you know, with money down, um, do, do you, should should I go ahead and just take it and try to do like a lease option to get my money back as fast as possible? Or would you still try to just work the money over depending on how much it is? Ryan, 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 um, as investors, we don't want to get our money back as as fast as possible. We want a, a nice income and a high rate of return. I, you've got again, again. That's that's you speaking from your perspective because that's kind of where you are in your real estate world right now. But I'm telling you, there's lots of folks out there who they they like the idea of 20 years worth of steady income more than they like the idea of a big old chunk of cash that's going to be highly taxed and they can't get the kind of return on it. Like, what are they going to do? Put it in the bank and get, what, 1% on their savings account? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta remember that not everybody's goals are the same, which is actually why real estate works. If all of our, if all of us had the same goals, none of this would work. <laughs> Cause we'd all be, we'd all be going after the same exact deal and the same exact, uh, kind of profit. So if, if somebody wants money down, to, you can negotiate that, right? If they say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sell you my $200,000 house with a hundred thousand down. Well, that's not very attractive. That, that's not a whole lot better than just paying cash for it. So you can say, well, look, dude, I mean, after I buy it, you know, I'm going to have to do another bunch of work to it. So how about we make that 5000 down and the rest of my down payment is the work I do to it. And if that doesn't work for them and, you know, again, you can go back to the cash offer and say, well, I, I can't give you 200 cash. I can only give you 140 cash, but that's another option for you. Um, there's there's it's it's a it's a. It's a back and forth, right? And just because somebody doesn't say, it's just because somebody says no now doesn't mean they'll feel the same way in a month or two months or three months or four months. And I would also challenge you, do you belong to one of the Rio groups down there? Um, we do have a local one, but it, it, it rarely meets. So wow, maybe once a month. Yeah, it's really sad. Well, once, once a month is, is, is fairly, is a fairly common schedule for a Rio group. Uh, but, but, but remember it doesn't have to be your money. Okay. If you, if you lived in Cincinnati and you brought me a property in Cincinnati and said, I've made this subject to deal, taken over a 3.5% mortgage. But the problem is I need $50,000 to get, to pay the seller up front to get their equity to them. Would you give me that $50,000 for half the property? I'd probably be like, I mean, I'd, I'd analyze it, but. That would be a fairly exciting investment for me and a lot of other people. Okay. 
So the reason I the it's reason I asked you, about that. Yeah, the reason pitching it to other investors. It never has to be your money. And and yeah, you don't 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 go pitch it to the other investors. Go to the meetings, meet these people, find out who's kind of in that estate building ender type of stage where they like to invest money more than they like to do work. <laughs> And build build relationships with them, find out what they like, um, and then when you when you have a deal, you already have a relationship, so you can call up and say, "Hey, what do you think of this? Would you be interested? You know anybody who'd be interested?" The 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 sport is a lot easier when it's a team sport. Okay. Well, I appreciate your advice and. Um... I uh, really thank you. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome, Ryan. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, and apparently it's give everybody the answer they don't want week here in Vino World. Uh, if you want to call in your question, 877-772-9658. If you'd like to email it in, it's askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We're going to go back to the phones and talk to Karen on line two from Florida. Karen, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, Zena. How are you? Hi, Karen. I'm good. How are you? Good. Now, you may have talked about this this past weekend at the Ultimate, and I might have missed it, but here's the scenario. I'm the seller. Mm-hmm. I want to sell doing a sub two to the buyer. Mm-hmm. The buyer is working with a real estate agent and they don't seem to understand what I'm trying to do. And I, I want to do a sub two so I don't have to, you know, do the prepayment penalty on my loan. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to talk to the agent about letting me, you know, carry the loan, um, or at least an underlying loan mm-hmm. and the buyer's dilemma, and I know what we've heard this before from the other standpoint, is what if I don't make the payment? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, if I don't make a payment in 30 days plus, then they would get titled to the house. Mm-hmm. But So I was wondering what more I could say, and then if I could get them to do that, what kind of contract should I use? So, contract? so you're, not, you're, not, you're not actually going to sell it subject to, you're going to sell it with a wrap of some sort. You want to leave your loan in place and you want to create a new agreement with them where they are paying you and you are paying your loan. And you've got an agent standing in the way who says, no, it should, Karen should take cash. And Karen doesn't Mm -hmm. want to take cash. Or they want to go get their own loan. They just want to go get their own loan. From your perspective, that's cash. Right, right, exactly. So um, this may, so first of all, this, this may just not be the right buyer. You know, I've I've mm-hmm. had to, I've had I've had deals where I, for one reason or another, only wanted to sell the pro- property with financing, and I've had agents come to me and buyers come to me and say, "I want to give you cash," and they were very angry that I wouldn't take cash. <laughs> like, what's what's the matter oh, with yeah. you? I'm offering your I full know. price. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. It may just be that you have to say no to this. But what I what I would say to the to the agent who may be the person standing in the way here is let me send you the template documents. You will see in the template documents that if I don't make the payments on the underlying loan, which would be stupid because I would ruin my own credit, Mm -hmm. then the buyer can 
make the payments directly to my lender, take it out of the payments they owe me, and go on with their lives. Their, their payment's never going to change. Okay. Because that's, that's what the documents right. actually say when you look at them. Is if, if So Karen is taking in a $4,000 a month payment from which she needs to make a $3,000 a month payment, let's say. The mm-hmm. documents say okay. if Karen doesn't make the $3,000 payment, then whoever's making the $4,000 payment can make the $3,000 payment to your bank and the $1,000 payment to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because you're, okay, you're the one who mm-hmm. broke the agreement. So does the right. does the agent understand why you were doing this? Why, why it's not an option yes. for you to just take cash? Okay. I, I told her I explained the prepayment penalty. Yes. Have you asked? And my interest rate is no higher than what they're going to get. Uh huh. So it's not like they're paying a higher interest rate even. And I was trying to explain they save on you know closing costs so much and this and that. It would save so much in yeah. closing costs and fees. And I mean, they're pro- you're you're probably is this is this one of your properties in like Dunedin or St. Peter or something? Yeah. Okay. So, so they could, Mm -hmm. they could be easily saving twelve, fifteen thousand $15,000 in closing costs by doing it your way. Right. So I think what, yeah, I need to have a template ready and then maybe write down a scenario. So they have a visual. And then what kind of contract would you use if they were to agree with it? Well, it's still a land contract. Well, it's still a purchase contract. uh, Is the starting point. In Florida, I believe, and you should check with the Floridians about this, but I believe that land contracts require the same uh, legal procedure as mortgages to, uh, like, if they stop making their payment, which is something, you know, we also have to worry about here. I think land contracts mm-hmm. and uh, mortgages require the same foreclosure proceeding. So there's not the advantage in Florida of land contracts that there is, say, in Ohio or Indiana or some places where that's not true. Um, the only mm-hmm. other consideration for you would be with a land contract, they can't actually further encumber the property. They can't get a home equity line or anything like that, which you could find to be a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, is okay. is this is you're planning on just fully amortizing this, right? Whatever it is. Right. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe six of six of one and a half dozen of the other in this case, because I'm guessing this agent wouldn't be working with this buyer if she didn't know that they were qualified for a conventional loan. Right. They are. So, uh, and I told them even I even gave them the option of like even if you just do it for two years, I you know I don't care if I have to pay one point penalty. I just don't want to pay three. Well, if it's going to be so. shorter term like that, if it's going to be two or three years, then it's a lease option. But if it's going to be fully amortizing, okay. it's either a wrap mortgage or a land contract. Okay, lease option. Shorter term. Has has the agent let yeah. you sit with the well, you and her sit with the buyer and talk this through? I wanted to do that. I offered to do that, and she said no. They just want to go with their lender. Well, that. I, I think so I might not have been convincing enough. Well, I think you need to put your foot down and say, look, the going with the lender thing, that's not an option. If they want this house, okay. we got to do it this way. And I would like to have the chance to sit down and explain what the benefits to that them might be. And then y'all can decide. Right. Okay. 
I will do that. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you for your call, Thank Karen. You. I appreciate uh-huh. it. Let's, Bye. let's go to uh-huh. line three, Karina in Columbus. Karina, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. I have a question about creative financing. I have a seller who has a good portfolio. Um, she sold to me a few houses last year, um, and then she couldn't sell anymore because obviously she... Capital uh, gains <laughs> Hello? Because capital yeah. gains yeah, tax? She, yeah. Exactly. And so this year, she, I asked her if she was unloading anything, and um, she's like, well, let me meet with my accountant. Now, all these homes are free and clear, and I'm just wondering if there's any way that I can buy them somehow from her so that she doesn't incur those capital gains tax. Well, there's no way to, well, there's no way to buy it from her without her incurring capital gains tax. Right. The, the argument that, that most people make about seller the, a seller financing a property for them is that it breaks up the capital gains tax over a much longer period of time because like 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 if if you went to her and said hey give me a mortgage on this a seller held mortgage on this house and i will pay it to you over the next 20 years she only has to pay her capital gains as her principal payment comes in Right. So it's going to take 20 years for the whole principal payment to come in. So it'll be 20 years uh, for for her to divide up the capital gains tax. And there's an argument that if you're paying her some interest and she gets this money and can reinvest it in other things that that like ultimately it costs her less. But it that that's dependent on her, like making investments with the money she's getting the way to. The way for her to control her capital gains tax, because there's a there's there's a there's a point at which you've you've sold enough properties and have enough capital gains in a year that not only do you pay regular capital gains, you pay another three and a half percent extra in capital gains. And I'm guessing she got there last year. Yeah, I think she did because she was pretty upset of how much she had to pay. Yeah, yeah. So the way to the way for you to get control of the properties and know that you can buy them, but for her to really not have any capital gains tax at this moment is for you to lease the properties with an option to buy them. Okay. So how how many more how many more properties do you think you could handle right now to management and whatnot? I mean, she had 20. Um, her husband passed, and it just became too daunting for her to take care of all of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I already bought two of them, and my contractor, I think, bought five. Mm. But she still has a bunch left. Well, what are you, what are you doing with these? Are you, hold, are you holding on to them? I tried to hold on to one of them, but it, it was a nightmare with uh, my tenant, so I just fixed it up again and uh, it's on the market the other one i'm gonna flip you need to learn to pick better tenants well they came from um the housing department so supposedly they screened her really well and she's she had a good name in the community like she's a good girl Unfortunately, her partner is the one that kind of causes the problem. So, when you say housing department, do you mean Section Eight, or do you mean like one of the? Um... She had HapCap for the first six months, and then moved over to Section Eight. Um, 
but it just wasn't it wasn't a good fit. Yeah, well, so so just just for the education of everybody else who's listening, Section Eight doesn't actually screen people, and you and you're allowed to screen people who have that sort of uh, assistance under the same terms that you would screen anybody else. So you're you're allowed to check their prior rental history, and well, I mean, in states where that's still legal, you're allowed to check their prior rental history. Um, you're allowed to if you do this with everyone. The last stage of your uh, screening can be to go to their existing property. Because one thing yeah. I've learned over the years is whatever that property looks like, that's what your property is going to look like in a year. Yeah, I wish I had done that. <laughs> yeah, there's don't 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 give up on don't give up on rentals because that's the way to you know build wealth is rentals. So, um, yeah, I just don't think I'm going to do them in D neighborhoods or C. Is this, is that where she owns stuff? Uh, well, the one that I bought was in a D and I think the other ones are pretty much like C plus. Mm -hmm. So, so, so back to how do you avoid, how do you help her avoid capital gains tax, but you get it, you get in charge of the properties. If you're by leasing them for options, if you're leasing them with an option to buy and you time the options, so like, so uh, I'm getting all of your remaining, uh, what she got 18 more pro no, you said eight of them were bought, 12 more properties, yeah. And our agreement will be I will buy two this year, two next year, two the following year, two the following year, so that you're not like getting slaughtered in capital gains taxes every year. But you you have to, if you're lease optioning, like the only way to make money on them is to you then rent them out. Right. I think most of them need some rehab. Like I've realized that all of her properties, she didn't have the right like uh, plumbers or electricians. So all of that would have to be redone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're, the, the options are in writing and they're recorded and there's some mm -hmm. other there's some other documents you're going to record on top of the option itself, so you can you can feel okay about doing some repairs to a property even though you don't own it, so that you can get the top possible rents. Okay. But but I mean another thing is she she can talk to her CPA about this and if he actually knows anything about real estate he can tell her more than this but. Uh, the solution might be for her to sell them to you with owner financing long term because that way she continues to get an income and her capital gains tax gets broken up so she doesn't get to the end of the year and go, oh, my God, I just spent six figures in taxes, which is probably what happened to her last year. Right. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Okay. But, yeah, have her have her talk to her CPA about the tax consequences of that on her. Okay. okay. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Good luck, Karina. Thanks. Take care. <laughs> you too. All right. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to go to some questions that came in via email. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Nina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week, and I'm going to go to the to the askvina.gmail.com questions because there are a whole bunch of them. Um, question from 
I guess I should start with the early earliest ones, huh? Uh, question from Tom in North Augusta, South Carolina. If I have a seller that says he has an assumable mortgage at 3.2%, would there be any way my SDIRA would be able to assume it? So, Tom, let's step back for a minute because your seller undoubtedly believes that he has an assumable mortgage. And in fact, he probably does have an assumable mortgage, but it's probably either an FHA or VA mortgage. And one of the requirements of assumption of those loans is that you qualify for them, which your SDIRA isn't going to do. It's not going to qualify because it isn't a person. (laughs) And secondly, part of the qualification is that you are going to live there, which of course you're SDIRA is not going to do. Um, you could buy it subject to, I'm sorry, your 401k, you could buy it subject to that mortgage, which is not an assumption. I mean, you're not, you're not applying with the bank and going on the mortgage. However, uh, and your, your, your 401k could do it. And my understanding is that in a 401k, different than an IRA, if you are assuming or getting debt financing in order to actually, you know, buy a property, fix a property, et cetera, there is no unrelated business income tax on that in a 401k. In an IRA, that is not true. In an IRA, if you uh, buy a property subject to, then you pay unrelated business income tax, which you probably want to avoid doing. You would want to structure it some different way. But uh, I don't think your seller's loan is actually assumable by you. You can go look at his paperwork and find out. Uh, It certainly is not assumable by your 401k. Uh, It's a possible subject to in your 401k, though. So uh, thanks for your question, Tom. A question from Pete, who doesn't say where he's from. But his email says NKY. So I'm thinking he's maybe from Northern Kentucky. Uh, He says, here's my question. How much time would you give a non-performing partner to get their act together? (laughs) Wow, Pete, I wish you'd called this one in because I'd like more detail on what the partner was supposed to be doing that they are not performing on. Because um, I think generally my answer would be not very long And also, I would have had uh, pretty detailed stuff in my partnership agreement, my joint venture, or if it was in an LLC, the operating agreement in the LLC, that specified what, what happened if my partner didn't do whatever he was supposed to be doing, and also specified what happened if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And it would have, it would have, we would agree to that up front. Um, you know, if the partner was a work partner who was supposed to be rehabbing or managing the property, it would have said, if you don't, you know, if, if, if these specific things don't happen, then what we're going to do is we're going to hire someone to do your job. And that's going to come 100% out of your side of the partnership. And then if, you know, 30 days went by and they were supposed to be rehabbing and there hadn't been any motion forward, I would call and I would say, so remember that thing we agreed to? We're doing it. And if if he didn't jump to right away and like get it fixed, then that's what would happen because you can't, I mean, holding real estate vacant is a very expensive thing to do. 
and it, it hurts it hurts both of you but if you're the one doing your job and he's not uh, I, the argument can be made that he's hurting you more um, I don't generally find that people who are not performing end up performing like you can try and try and try to rehabilitate them but they this person may have already shown you who they are and you probably need to do something. And the question of what you can do depends on whether you had a good partnership agreement. Um, gosh, two minutes and a 1031 question. I have two properties, each in a separate land trust. I found buyers for each of the properties. The buyers have agreed to cooperate in a 1031 exchange. Uh, I want to take the proceeds into one larger property. How does the titling work when taking two separate trusts into one new property since these trusts are disregarded entities? What do I need to do or be aware of? Uh, okay, first of all, Roxana, I'm going to give you an answer and then you're going to call a 1031 exchange expert and make sure that I gave you the right answer. The important thing here is not the trusts. It's what, what is the entity underlying the trusts? If they both, if they both have the same ownership, if the, if the beneficiaries are the same LLC, you're not going to have a problem here. You're going to exchange both properties into your new property. If they have two different LLCs, I believe what you're going to have to do here is uh, exchange both properties into the new property, but the two, the new property would have a split ownership. So your one LLC would be tenants in common with your other LLC. You can't, you can't take different entities and trade their money into the same property. Now, the question of the land trust itself, your, your 1031 exchange intermediary may say that the clean thing to do is maybe take it out of the trust before you sell it, because then it's really obvious to the IRS who exchanged into what. So I think that's the correct answer. Call your favorite 1031 exchange intermediary and find out, okay? All right, so we're at the end of question and answer week. And much appreciation to all the questioners uh, those that i didn't get to pick up we will do in the next question answer week so listen in we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing until then happy investing happy investing